0: Was starring in my life's role. I always like that part. Hoping, I hope you can say that this morning uh, that the Lord is starring in your life's role. Amen. Amen. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 this morning. Uh, I preach from this text at least once a year, about the subject in this passage about Paul's defense of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And I, I Lord will, and I'll continue to preach at least once a year from this subject. This, this passage of Scripture, this, um, this subject the Christ risen from the dead, is all of my hope. It's the only reason Listen, it is the only reason I'm a Christian. That's it. It's the only reason that I've been saved. Because Christ lives to save. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, then you are still in your sins. We are of all people in this life, we are most miserable. Because this is it if Christ be not risen from the dead. This doctrine, this truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, it is the foundation of the Christian faith. It is the cornerstone of the church. It is everything. It is what separates Christianity from every other belief in the world. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, most of my life, I was just taught to believe it. Praise God for that. Because one should believe it because it's true. But this subject, it, it clinched the belief that I can believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead because it, because it is supported by evidence, historical fact, reason, and logic. And if if one comes to the end of this subject, one would have to admit that the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the only logical explanation for there being an empty tomb in Jerusalem that day. This subject is everything to me and I hope and pray that it's everything to you. And I prayed yesterday that, that God could use me, if he will, to bring, to bring it justice. And I know that I'll spend the rest of my days preaching the subject. And I'll never come to the end of its greatness and its awesomeness and its might. And I know today I'll not exhaust the evidence and the truth of it. But especially maybe some young heart here. That the gospel of Jesus Christ could be presented to you, not just in a way because that's the truth, but it is, but also in a manner that it is is reasoned and argued and proven and shed light upon not only how true it is, but how great that truth is in light of of the historical, biblical, life-changing evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That our faith is not a dead faith. It is a living, powerful, supernatural faith built not just on our papal's testimonies because it's in the Bible. It is in the Bible. And the Bible is the infallible, inspired truth of God. But then shouldn't it be able to stand up against criticism? Yes. Shouldn't the Gospel be able to stand up against the doubts of a 17-year-old? Yes. But shouldn't the Gospel also be the answer Not only to stand up to the doubts of seeking hearts, but to be the answer to those seeking hearts. To be the reason of the answer and the reason for the hope of the gospel is the gospel. It stands alone, built up upon infallible truths. Amen? So let's read our text. Verse 1, if you're there, say amen. Amen. It's been a good morning, hasn't it? Verse 1, 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ, died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he arose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now first notice Paul's making a scriptural argument. But it should stand up to reality, shouldn't it? So in verse 5 Paul continues, And the reality is that he, Jesus, was seen of Cephas, as Peter, then of the twelve, the rest of the disciples... And then after that, and notice the word seen. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present. But some are fallen asleep. There's a lot of them still alive, Paul says. Some have passed away. In verse 7, after that he was seen of James. Now James here in verse 7 is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Now, of course, why is he the half-brother? Because Joseph is not the father of Jesus. The father of Jesus is God. So he's the half-brother. They share the same mother. But James was not conceived of the Holy Ghost. Jesus was. So James here is the half-brother of Jesus. This is also the same James who was the first pastor at Jerusalem, which is significant. Then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me, Paul says. The man who is writing the letter is saying, claiming that I saw Jesus of Nazareth alive after he was dead. And Paul says he was seen of me also. Notice the word seen again. Eyewitnesses as of one born out of due time. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. God, I pray that, Lord, you would do an eternal work among us this morning. God, that you would be glorified by truth. And Lord, that hearts and minds would be opened. That prejudices, Lord, would be challenged. That, Lord, that life and light would take the place of death and darkness. And God, that your word would be received with gladness. That the simplicity of Christ would clearly be seen and offered. That, Jesus, that you would be the answer to every heart here. And Lord, you'd be the reason for every life. Jesus, Lord, I pray, God, your will would be done. And, Lord, that you would, you would be glorified among us. And we could all leave here saying that you are amazing, that you live, and you are awesome, and you are the one and only living true God, and you are the only Savior. Bless your word, Jesus. In your name, Christ, we pray. Amen. <coughs> Let's first handle the text. So Paul says in verse 1, he says, I declare unto you the gospel. So what is the gospel? So Paul declares the gospel. And the gospel is, in verse 3, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and the thir- that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So Paul says, I declared unto you the gospel. That's the gospel. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead according to the scriptures. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I declared it unto you that which I received. So not only has he believed the gospel, but he has heard and received the gospel. So then Paul says that he tells us what the gospel is. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And then he says that you are saved by this gospel. But in what way? Verse 2 says, by which also you are saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. So, how does the gospel save? How was the gospel applied to one's life that they might receive Jesus and thus have everlasting life? Because in Christ, Paul, John said, Whosoever hath the Son hath what? Life. So, how does one have life? By faith, by believing in Him. So, we have the gospel. So, the text is teaching us that the gospel of Jesus Christ saves by faith but it is proven legitimized by what by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead so this gospel that saves is proven by what verses 5 through 8 he was seen of cephas in the 12 and then of 500 people at once and then of james and then of and then lastly of paul so this gospel is proven to be The Gospel by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the Gospel saves by faith because Christ lives. Amen? And it is proven by what? By evidence that Christ really did arise from the dead on the third day like He said that He would. So it makes it trustworthy, don't it? I think I said last year, I have a default setting, and and we all should. Anything that anybody says should be believed if they died and arose from the dead the third day. Amen? That should be the default setting of our lives. Just make it a rule. Whoever claims they're going to be crucified, buried, and arise the third day, when they come back to life, just say amen to everything you said. Amen? It legitimizes the message of the messenger, don't it? And then Paul said, Romans chapter 1, verse 4, that declaring... Him to be the Son of God with power by what? By the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So it, it proves it, doesn't it? So, so when God raised His Son Jesus from the grave, He is legitimizing not only His message, but also, praise God, it could go on for eternity and it will, but it also proves that the sin debt's been paid and He is the living receipt that Jesus paid it all. That's what it means. Amen? So the text teaches that the gospel saves through faith and the gospel is proven to be trustworthy and alive and living and reliable and also not without consequence because it's a living gospel through the eternal life of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now the resurrection of Jesus... It, it was the central message of the first century church. That was the message. That Jesus died and He arose again the third day. That's what they preached. If you went to a sermon from the Apostle Paul in uh year 48 A.D., he would preach about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That was the message. It, on it hinges everything. If you look at verses verses 3 through 5, there is a creed here. Now, Paul is quoting what is already being said among the New Testament church. Now, he says in verse 3, I'm delivering, I delivered unto you, first of all, they which I also received. What did Paul receive? So he's quoting a creed, and a creed was a way for people who couldn't read and write to remember certain important truths. And a creed, this creed, many scholars believe, that this creed began around the mid-30s A.D. after Jesus died. This this statement is found in other external sources other than the Bible. And so Paul is saying that I'm already telling you what you already know. And the creed, what they've all been saying, kind of like Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And this is what the church was already saying. And Paul said that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and He was seen of Cephas and then of the Twelve. This is the creed. And Paul is saying, you are already saying this. Now Jesus died in the year around 30 A.D. Jesus died in 30 A.D. 1 Corinthians was written at 54 A.D. Now why is all that important? Because why it's important, it is proving that the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ happened within the same generation of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's important, isn't it? That means it's not a legendary tale that grew over time. It means that it's, it, it, didn't, uh, it, didn't become, um, it didn't become elaborate later on. It means that they Paul is saying the same thing that they already know. Like any of you all remember 9-11, that tragic day? It's been about that long ago. So if about 20-something years, 22 years. So if, if 1 Corinthians was written in 54 A.D., Jesus died in 30 A.D., Paul is writing this epistle 24 years after Jesus died, buried, and arose again the third day. And then he's quoting a creed that, was, that they were already talking about in, in, in the, within a few years after Jesus died, buried, and rose again the third day. So what is Paul doing? He's building an argument to the people and he's saying, hey, you all know what I'm talking about. That's what he's saying. You all already know what's happening here. So he's not creating a story that they don't know. See, a lot of people say, well, I don't believe the Bible because the Bible is made up. First Corinthians is, whether we like it or not, is a historical document. And it is, it is, it is quoted by church fathers who lived in the end of the 1st and 2nd century. So we're talking about a, not only a, a, a what you and I as Christian people would say is a, is a spiritual reality of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, but what we're also discussing is not only a spiritual reality, this is a historical reality. Amen? This is something that took place. This is something that happened. This is someone who lived and died and was buried. And there are people, Paul is saying, hey, you all know the story. Same generation. Like if somebody told me, I don't believe in 9-11. I'd say, listen, I I lived through that. I know what took place. I saw people jump out of a building with my own eyes. Somebody, you know who is an expert, who arrives later on on the scene and says, I don't think that ever happened. I'm telling you, I'm not the only one who saw that. Can anybody else say amen about that? Yes. So no. See, this is the argument. This is the point. We have even men like Polycarp, who was the generation after the apostles. And Polycarp quoted, I sat at the feet of John the beloved, the elder, the apostle. I sat at his feet... And to prove that he really believed the message of the Gospel, Polycarp was burnt alive when he was 86 years old on a stake and they was going to tie his hands. And remember he said, 80 and 6 years I've served my Savior. I'll not deny Him now. And he went to the stake and was burnt alive for the testimony of Jesus Christ without His hands tied. Why did he do that? There's a man named Papias. And Papias was was also a disciple of John. And it's quoted that Papias, by another church father named Irenaeus, that Papias said that John told him. So people say, well, why are we speaking about this? Because all you people do is quote the Bible. You see how it works? I'm talking about a historical event that took place based upon legitimate outside evidences. You see the argument here. And Papias said that John told him that Peter that Mark, who was the writer of the Gospel according to Mark, that Mark interpreted the stories of Jesus through Peter. Then what does that mean? That Peter had an influence then on the writing of the Gospel according to Mark. And no wonder Paul from Rome in prison said, hey, and bring me John Mark, you know the one who got scared and left? You bring him to me because I want him and bring my books and my parchments with him Because He is profitable unto me for the ministry. I'm glad, speaking of Mark, I'm glad you could slip up and still get right with Jesus. Amen? Amen. 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 uh, What about, I've told you before, about Tacitus, who was a Roman senator at the end of this 1st century and the 2nd century, and you want another outside source that speaks about these names in Scripture? Tacitus said that Nero, who was Caesar, fastened the guilt of the burning of Rome upon their leader, Christus Christ, who was crucified under our procurator, Pontius Pilate. What, 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 what are we doing here? We're talking about something that didn't happen in a corner. We're discussing something that is real and historic and reality brings evidence to... all oh, you just believe? Yes, I believe. I believe absolutely. And that's just a portion. But these things were done openly before us all. Amen. Josephus, I even brought word for word what he said. Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, was not a Christian opposed to Christianity said, and I quote, Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works Josephus said, from the 1st century. A teacher Of such men as received the truth with pleasure, he drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. First century non-Christians speaking about what? A man named Jesus who did miracles and many followed after him, and not just Jews, but Gentiles also. So Paul, when he's quoting the creed in year 54 A.D., who is already, the creed is being sent around, he's speaking about something that is currently going on. First of all, can we stop and say, isn't it wonderful? It is, isn't it? I just love it, don't you? I mean, I just love it. I just love the Gospel. Not only because... For what it's done to me. But because it's like, it's so obvious, you know. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. This truth right here, to me, my testimony, it was like, Bryson, it was like, that's it. It's like I saw the risen Lord and He's alive. They're really... Jesus is a historical person. He is. And Jesus is not only a historical person, and let this be recorded, Jesus is the unique eternal Son of the living God. The only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. Amen? John, the eyewitness, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. Now, li- listen Jehovah's Witnesses. And the Word was God. See, they say that he's the br- He was a created being. No, co-equal, co-eternal, the unique Son of the living God. Begotten means the unique Son of God. Different from how we're begotten of God. We are the children of God, yes. But He is the unique begotten Son of the living God first John chapter 1 excuse me verse 14 is it verse 14 and the word God became flesh Amen. <laughs> Amen. and dwelt among us and we beheld him John said in his first epistle you know the guy who Mark said the guy Papias who said under John who quoted that John said that Mark learned the gospel through the apostle Peter who has seen him alive John in 1 John chapter 1 says, And we have handled Him. I touched Him, John said. I touched Him. I hugged Him. I laid my head on His chest. I put my arm around His his mother while He was paying the price for our sins. While we're on this subject of the disciples, let's go a little further. So look at verse number 5. So the creed ends at verse 5. But but let's take verse 5. So he was seen of Cephas. Now why is that important? So Paul is saying, hey, Corinthian church, because that's the recipient of the letter, you know Cephas. Peter, you know him. There's even some maybe thought that Peter visited Corinth, possibly, but they know who he is. And so Paul is saying uh, he was seen of Peter. Why is that important? Because Paul is saying, hey, I'm not the only one saying this. He was seen of Peter. And then he was seen of the twelve. Now why is that so significant? Because here's what is an historical fact. Before they saw Jesus alive after he was dead, what were the, what were the disciples doing? What were they doing in the upper room? They went praying. What were they doing? They were afraid, wasn't they? So when the disciples are in the upper room after Jesus died, they're like panic. They think they're next. I don't blame them, do you? They think at any moment that the Jewish or Roman authorities are going to come knock down the door and arrest them and crucify them also. The disciples were terrified, wasn't they? Even non biblical historians believe that the disciples, something happened to these guys. What changed them into cowards? In in Acts chapter 2, Peter, standing before the multitude, said, And you with wicked hands have crucified the Prince of life. What changed Peter? What changed Peter after he was beaten up for preaching the gospel? What changed this man who a month before was afraid and a coward? And now all of a sudden, listen carefully details, listen, now all of a sudden Peter is rejoicing that he got a busted lip. For Jesus Christ. What happened to Peter? What happened to the disciples? Some of them were filleted. You know that? Flayed. Some of them were killed with a spear. At different locations and different points of time, which is significant. Andrew believed he was crucified on a cross shaped like an X. Peter, you know, he was crucified What? Upside down. It's, it's possible they tried to kill John the Apostle. They couldn't. They all, none of them, none of them, none of them said it was a lie. None of them said it was made up. None of them changed their story. He, he was seen, Jesus was seen of Peter, Matthew, John. None of them changed their story. What does that prove? It proves that they really believed that they saw Jesus alive after He was dead. And their testimony is proven because they suffered so much for what they claimed to be true. Why did the disciples have to suffer so much? To concrete their testimony that they aren't making it up. Not only did their lives change, but their testimony never wavered in the face of unbearable torture and persecution. Oh, they were lying. For what? Money? Prestige? Fame? More like infamy. Yeah, I'm going to lie so I can get crucified. Hey, listen, martyrs make poor liars. You know that? And again, the argument is well, what about the Muslims? They die. They die based on secondhand faith. These men die for what they knew to be true or false. They knew it. They said, fine, do what you got to do. But there's only one name given among men whereby men must be saved. Amen. Do what you got to do. What happened to these disciples? I saw him alive. Let's roll. If he lives forevermore, then I'm riding with him. Do what you will to me because I believe he's alive from the grave. That's what happened to these men. You still with me? Got a little more time. Then verse 6. He was seen of 500 brethren at once. 500 people at one time. They cannot hallucinate everybody at the same time. This was before CGI. This was before Hollywood graphics. This was before special effects. This was before electricity. This is no mirage. This is before magic tricks. 500 people. And Paul said, hey, go ask some of them. Because a lot of them are alive into this present day. Go, what, what, is, what is the evidence suggesting then? that people really saw Jesus alive after he was dead. To the point of suffering and death and poverty and shame to maintain that testimony. Maybe the 500 people were crazy. Now, we're all a little crazy, ain't we? But I've never seen crazy get unified. Have you? I've always seen crazy be your kind of crazy. I've never seen 500 people. That would be normal, wouldn't it? 500 people at once. That's normal. They didn't hallucinate. There are no such thing as mass hallucinations. Verse number 7. He was seen of James. What happened to James? James was stoned to death for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 13, James is the half-brother of Jesus, you recall, and he was embarrassed of Jesus during Jesus' earthly ministry. James was not a Christian. They were ashamed of their brother. Then all of a sudden, James is like, I believe. I believe it now. Why? Don't you think James would have converted when Jesus walked on water? Don't you think that James would have converted when he called Lazarus from the tomb? Don't you think that James, who was there when Jesus turned water into wine, would have been converted by then? No, not at all. Why did James become a Christian? Hey, I saw that man who died and we buried him with my mom. I saw him alive after he was dead. So it legitimizes Jesus' message. Repent and believe the gospel. Okay. Amen. Lastly, in verse number 7, Paul says, he was, and last of all, verse 8, he was seen of me as one born out of due time. Now why is that important? Because remember, remember, listen carefully, Paul was Saul of who? Tarshish's. He was what? Was he the buddy of the church? No. The persecutor. While he was yet breathing out threatenings and slaughters against the church. Acts chapter 9. He saw the Lord alive after he was dead. And it was about two, two and a half, three years after Jesus ascended to heaven. So Paul was converted around A.D. 33, 35-ish two or three years after Christ arose and ascended to heaven, and all of a sudden, two years later, Paul, who was once a persecutor of the church, now preaches the faith that he once persecuted. Say, Oh, they got to him. How can this little band of believers, can they threaten him? Do they have any power? Do they have any political weight? They can't threaten him with political weight. They have no money. They're poor. How? Oh, he just finally surrendered to what? These, These band of believers... Did he just surrender to them? He's like, oh, sorry. No, what happened to him? What was the advantage then for being beheaded? I'm going to get rich. No, why did he do it? Think. Think, please. Think. Open your eyes and see. Think what happened to Paul. Paul who was shipwrecked and thrice whipped and beaten and stoned and spat on and imprisoned and in hunger and in thirst and all types of stuff, why did he do it? Think about it. Why? If, if we knew Paul, we would say this, wouldn't we, April? Man, he really believes that. Then Paul says, yeah, I believe it. Go ask him." 500 people who believe it. Yeah, go knock on their door. And what's cool about the gospel, they drop names and they drop addresses like the city of Nan. Go ask the lady, was there a man named Jesus of Nazareth? Yeah, we all know who who she is because he rose her son from the dead in the middle of a funeral procession. Go talk to him. See, it's not 200 years later. Dropping names, dropping regions, dropping people, dropping notorious people. So the gospel's so powerful. The Lord, in His sovereignty and love and His mercy and His providence, He says, I'm going I'm to win the persecutor and I'm going to prove how life changing the gospel is. Go ask them. See it? Don't you see? Don't you believe the report? And what does all this mean in closing? It means a lot, amen. Here's what it means to you Christians. Your faith is not built on fairy tales. It's not. This is just one sermon about it. It's not built on fairy tales. You can look into the eyes of the most... Renowned, intelligent, articulate, rogue scholars of our generation. You could go to the halls of higher education and you could be like Paul on Mars Hill and say, yeah, he rose from the dead and I'd love to hear your argument historically against it. Go. I'll be waiting. You can do that. Because Scripture and the Gospel... Has stood two thousand years of scrutiny. And still yet, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is backed up by many infallible proofs. So, what does it mean for Christians? It means that you can rest in hope that it's true, that it's that it's real and legitimate. But you don't have to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this godless, perverse, adulterous generation. And you can say, that's Peter the apostle, the eyewitness who lied for money. Yeah, crucified upside down. Big earthly gain he got. And Peter taught us that we ought to be able to give a reason for the hope that's in us. Say, why are you a Christian? You could say, I'm a Christian because Jesus Christ arose from the dead. (laughs) Prove that. How much time you got? We could even add some more. You want to add a couple more? Let's do it. Why in the world would you create a lie in the first century when even the testimony of women were not admissible, admissible in court? And the first testimony, the first ones who saw Jesus alive were who? The ladies. And they came and said, He's alive. He's a love. He's a love. And if you was going to create a lie, you wouldn't do that, would you? Provide a body. I just have provide a body. Please provide a body. Go get a body. Oh, maybe they maybe they don't know where they buried him. Do you know where your parents are buried? Do you know where your brother is buried? Maybe the disciples went to the wrong tomb. Please, it's pathetic. You're looking foolish. Maybe he didn't really die. Oh, you're subjecting the swoon theory, like the professional executioners didn't really kill Jesus. And if he didn't die after after being scourged and crowned of thorns and crucified, they thought he wasn't dead, and they put him in a tomb. And somehow he opened the tomb and snuck past the Roman guards, and they didn't know any; they were none the wiser. Please, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I love it, don't you? It's so mighty and strong. It's awesome. It's awesome. So, what does it do for Christian people? This is it. This is the hope that's in us. This is the linchpin, isn't it? One preacher said it is the ark. It is the, it is the capstone of the ark of Christianity. It, it holds it all together and it bears the weight of the universe. This is it. So, tonight when I sing. I don't know, maybe we would sing, I don't know. It's in a subliminal message, you follow Jesus, amen. But, you know, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. I go, that's right. Or when we sing, I serve a risen Savior. <laughs> yes, I do. When somebody quotes, the, and I agree with it, the cliche statement, I know he's alive because I talked to him this morning. And I go, that's true. That's right. He is alive, and he is alive whether you believe it or not. Amen. He's alive, Amen. amen. This isn't some foolish story. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel. And what does it mean if you're not a Christian this morning? Well, it means that you're wrong. It's not a suggestion that you should like think through it. No, it's, it's remember, Jesus, the gospel even isn't a suggestion. It's a command. Jesus came from the wilderness and He said, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Paul, after he said, and he arose Jesus from the dead in, on Mars Hill before all the educated people of the time, and Paul said, in times past God winked at things, but now because of Jesus Christ arising from the dead, God has commanded all men to repent. Because now you and I stand accountable to a risen, living Savior And there is now, therefore, a man in heaven. There is a man in heaven. Flesh and bone. Oh, really? Handle me, he said, and see if I be a spirit. Does a spirit eat? Can you touch him? No. Scripture teaches there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Okay? And will one day come, as Nancy's saying, He'll judge the quick and the dead. He's coming. Not to die, but as a conquering, ruling Savior. As the Old Testament says, who is He that comes from Edom? (laughs) His vesture dipped in blood. Who is He? It's Him, mighty and strong. He's coming. He's coming. The same, why stand ye here I could preach for three hours, couldn't you? So, uh, you all might not be convinced yet. He lives. He lives. He lives, lives. amen. (laughs) He lives. For the unbeliever, it's not a suggestion, it is a call to repentance. This is the reality of the age. This isn't a religion among religions. This isn't a story among stories. This is it. We even hinge time on this event in history. I know they're trying to take that away now, CE. What does that even mean? I'm talking about something real. This isn't a fairy tale. Some people say you should have faith like it's some blind leap in the dark. No, 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 no. Listen, it is trusting A risen Savior who is alive right now. It's not, I hope He catches me. No, no, no. He lives. And you know what happens when any one of you trusts in a risen Savior? That same Spirit that rose up Jesus from the dead Will quicken your mortal bodies. Paul, the same apostle. Second Corinthians, I'll quote it once more, 5:17. If any one of you be in Christ, you are a new creature. Behold, look at it, It's interesting. It's the most astonishing thing that ever happened to you. Behold, old things have passed away. Some of you could say that, can't you? It's the most astonishing thing that ever happened to me. My life was one way, but when I saw a living Savior, everything changed. Amen. Paul says, Amen. That's right. Peter says, Amen. I once was scared, but now I'll say, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. Upside down? That'll do. Polycarp? Yep. Fine. Do what you will. He lives. This is a call to faith. I'm so confident in it. I have so much belief in it. And I can also say, not only the person of the resurrection, we can alliterate it, the person of the resurrection. It's been proven the provability of the resurrection, but the power of the resurrection. I can say through experience. He lives, and He lives within me. He lives. He does. My testimony is, since I met a risen Savior, all, all things have become new. Amen. Even today, even, I, we could go on, couldn't we? Even what's been happening this morning proves what? This ain't some dead fairy tale. This is the truth. The truth. If you're not a Christian today, what did we learn from the text? The Gospel. Jesus died for your sins. They buried Him. He rose from the dead proving your sin debt has been paid. The gospel is applied through what? Faith. Unless you believed in vain. Maybe you're just listening with your ears and you've not received it by faith. But if you don't believe in vain, if you trust Christ this morning, you'll become a Christian and you'll be saved and you'll be born again. And the Gospel is legitimized. And it will be over and over again in your life because He still lives, the writer of Hebrews says, through the power of an endless life. He ever liveth (laughs) to make intercession for us. Amen. That is offered to you through the Holy Spirit this morning. The church says, come. The Holy Spirit says, come. Whosoever will, let them come and drink from the water of life freely. You trust in Jesus. So the gospel is, you're a sinner. He died for your sins. They buried Him. He arose from the dead. And you by faith can receive Him into your heart and into your life. Accept Him as your Savior because He lives and He saves He turns persecutors into preachers. He turns cowards into courageous men. He turns drunks into sobriety. He turns adulterers into white like the driven snow. He turns sinners into saints. You say, well, you ain't perfect yet, but I'm telling you the track record is this. He who began a good work in me will complete it. Amen. Amen? He's offered to you this morning. Let's stand to our feet. What song I'm going to sing, Bryson? Page, Page number 81. Just as I am, without one plea. We're entering into the Easter season. It's on our hearts. It's on our minds. And I hope and pray today, I hope and pray today, that maybe, listen carefully, maybe you doubted your papa. Listen carefully. Maybe... Sometimes the questions about faith, listen, I know from experience, wasn't articulated in a way. That's why us as God's people, we got to learn. We got to grow. We got to be able to give a reason. We ought to be able to talk intelligently and logically about evolution and about the flood and about faith and about the resurrection and the universe. We have the truth, but we act like we don't have it. But maybe today, you got. Confront it. I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about the gospel. You were confronted. It intersected your life a reasonable, logical, intelligent, historic explanation for what is the cause of all this today? Why is the tomb empty? What is Christianity? It is Christ crucified and risen from the dead. That's it. And maybe today, for the first time, you were hit with truth, reasoned in love. And I want to encourage you, if that's true, respond to it. If I can help you in any way, I'd love to help you. If I could meet you here even, if you'd like to pray, I'd love to help you. But believe on the Lord Jesus and thou shalt be saved. Amen?